The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. This is Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hardell. Toronto's News, today's talk, 640 Toronto. Well, good evening, my friends. We're halfway through the month of September. Usually the toughest month uh, in the market. Uh, we are surviving. Uh, market's been pretty good this year, if you're in the right things. And it's funny, those right things uh, were cold, and they went hot, and they pulled back a little bit, and they're waking up, and that's technology. Uh, oil's getting a bit of a bid, too, I must say. Quiet riot uh, in crude oil. Ooh, so dirty, they say, but we still consume the stuff, lots of it, uh, had a great presentation, uh, hey Jack, with the uh, canoes team talking about uh, crude and uh, barrels consumed per person in North America. 20 barrels of oil consumed by each and every one of us each and every year. Uh, in emerging markets, uh, China, India, about three barrels uh, per year consumed. Uh, and we know what the tra- trajectory of that is. Uh, I would say slightly down, I'm going to say, for developing or developed markets, but uh, developing for sure. They want to normalize and get up to that. Even if they get up to seven barrels a day, it's, it's significant in terms of the global uh, oil picture. Oh, goodness gracious. You think about it, uh, over t- two and a half billion people uh, taking consumption of crude from three to four barrels, significant, uh, three to seven, uh, three to 20 where we're at. Incredible. Um, but... On the other side of that equation is electrification uh, of the world. Uh, Tesla got a little pop uh, on its uh, dojo uh, line, shall I say. That's the self-driving vehicle, isn't it? I'm going to say it's the engine that drives the self-driving vehicle. So it's the artificial intelligence. And now Tesla is jumping on that bandwagon of artificial intelligence, gathering data um, to and starting to monetize it. It's remarkable. Uh, Michael Hainsworth, uh, he knows this space very well. Uh, Formerly of BNN, he used to interview me frequently on that uh, station. Uh, he was tough, I must say. Um, kept me sharp. Uh, Michael, uh, welcome back. How are you, my friend? I'm very well. Can you believe Elon Musk named a supercomputer a dojo? Is this the most biggest 13-year-old boy you've ever met or what? <laughs> you got to like him. Uh, you really do. I yeah, yeah. Well, okay. I like him. <laughs> I, I like him a lot, actually. I think he just keeps the uh, keeps all of us um, alert uh, as to what's next. He he, he is uh, in charge uh, in a, in part to the future. Uh, question for you, Hainsworth, Mister um, uh, Host of Where's My Jetpack? Um, have you seen the movie The Current War? No, I haven't. Should uh, I? You you should. Uh, it's it's the uh, race. Uh, during 1870, 1872, uh, Thomas Edison um, versus George Westinghouse uh, and throw into the equation, um, uh, what was his Nikolai name? Tesla. Ni- Nikolai Tesla. Nikolai Tesla. Uh, great movie. Yeah, it's all about electrification and uh, AC versus DC current. And uh, Thomas Edison, of course, had the light bulb after about a thousand failures. Um, George Westinghouse uh, was the creator of the air brake for the locomotive engines and uh, then parlayed his uh, talents into uh, the discovery of electricity and trying to light up the world. Uh, great movie, Michael. You're going to absolutely love it. But uh, that said, um, Tesla, of course, reinvented 
uh, automotive, remarkably so. Um, but he just doesn't stop there. Uh, as a matter of fact, um, we're getting frustrated with our telecom at home, Michael. And we were looking at uh, hooking up with, what's it called, Starlink? Um, his... Uh, a global communication network that uh, is quietly also, you know, gaining some traction? Yeah, the Starlink system, the the, the uh, satellite-based internet service that uh, Elon Musk refused to help the Ukrainians with in their uh, fight against uh, the invading Russians. I know all about that. Uh, and actually, I thought he did, al- sorry, I thought he did open that up to them. N- yeah, but only a little bit. When he found out that they were planning to attack um, some naval warships, uh, he decided he didn't want to be involved in that, and so he wouldn't give them the ability to extend the network into that part of the world. But your uh, movie analogy is actually quite apt, because uh, Edison was all about DC current electricity, mm-hmm. and Westinghouse was all about alternating current, which, as you know, AC is what comes out of the walls of our homes. Same thing for uh, Elon Musk with Tesla. Tesla Dojo is a supercomputer that uh, pulls in an insane amount of video data captured from real-life driving situations on the 4 million cars that are on the road already that are Tesla. And the reason why is because he decided he did not want to go with the equivalent of alternating current for self-driving cars, which is LiDAR. Everything is done by way of cameras, and that is a heck of a lot more difficult. And as a result of it being that much more difficult, he needs that supercomputer to be able to crunch all of the data to ensure that his self-driving cars don't run into other people. And other competitors are using LiDAR. It's more expensive, but it's also more efficient. Um, Michael, uh, Apple car, Tesla phone, which hits the market first uh, or neither? Uh, Apple Car is years away, uh, if if at all. The uh, people who were working on the Apple Car have actually found themselves uh, redirected to the Apple Vision Pro augmented reality, virtual reality headset to a large degree. That's expected to push out the uh, Apple Car by about five to ten years. So in your world, um, you know, where's my jetpack? What's catching your attention? Uh, What's catching my attention is that Apple is being forced to uh, switch to USB-C by the European Union uh, for all of their phones. It's a law by the end of next year. It'll extend the laptops by 2026 as well, and it's intended to reduce the e-waste from 11,000 tons of discarded chargers every year. But the switch to USB-C may just be the start. Apple's already blinked on this. Now they may have to blink as well on right to repair. The EU is demanding customers have the right to replace iPhone batteries as well. Remember back in the olden days when you you dropped your phone and the battery would come skidding out onto the street. That is the fear that Apple has, that if we drop an iPhone, it'll split into two. They don't want that. But uh, the EU says you're going to have to do that. So they blink once. They may have to blink twice. I'm sorry, but back up. Uh, what is this? U- I think you said USB-C you're referring to. I'm not aware of it. Well, if you plug your iPhone in to charge it, you're, right now you're using a lightning connector, which is a proprietary connector. USB-C is found everywhere and anywhere for charging all sorts of devices. And as a result, the fear here is that when you switch from, say, an Apple to a Samsung or what have you, you're going to throw out your old charger. Uh, You have to buy Apple's proprietary charger in the first place. So what we're hoping to see here is that everybody's using the same tech for the same reason. Apple, unfortunately, is not going to get its piece of the pie when somebody sells a lightning connector-based product, Apple would originally get a little bit from the licensing to make that possible. That's not going to happen under USB-C. Well, I just came from a uh, fantastic uh, two-week journey, uh, a get-to-know-your-family-heritage family trip uh, to Ireland uh, and Germany, and it was great to see the uh, 
charging stations uh, quite frequently uh, throughout uh, both countries. Uh, ABB uh, doing a lot of the charging stations. And I wasn't seeing Teslas being plugged in. Uh, no, I was seeing a lot of Chinese vehicles getting uh, charged. Uh, cost about, I'd say, 35 euro to charge your vehicle as opposed to 80 to 100 euro to fill it up with petrol. But this, you know, a significant charge, not free, uh, but standardized. Uh, so is this you basically what's happening to devices, standardized charging? It's the exact same kind of issue. Um, you, you're, you're, you're on a plane, the person beside you needs to borrow your charger. Oops, not compatible. Um, but everything else is possible. So that's going to come soon. Well, what about the new Samsung split phone? I'm not even sure if that's what it's called. It looks like a, like a, like a book. You, and I'm sure you've seen it, Michael. You're all over this stuff here. I saw quite a few of them in Europe. Uh, and then at a presentation yesterday, Jack, I don't know if you noticed at lunch, uh, one of those fellas sitting at our table had a, a Samsung flip phone. So it's basically twice the size of my iPhone. It's got a spine. You can uh, open it up. Uh, have you seen that product, Michael? Uh, does it have legs if you have seen it? I have seen it. Some people absolutely love it, particularly if you don't have a lot of pocket space. Um, and if you ask a woman, one of the biggest complaints they'll give you is that women's clothing doesn't have pockets. And when it does, they're super small. This almost turns your phone into like a, a makeup compact kind of. There's two types. Pack. Yeah, no, there's two types. The one that flips in half, I guess, top down and one that opens up left to right. Uh, the left right. to right one is, is is twice the size of my iPhone. You put a case on that puppy, and it's pre it's pretty chunky. Uh, I saw a pretty funky case for it, a high tech case. Uh, but then, yes, I, 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 his partner, um, who was female, of course, uh, or not, of course, uh, she had the one that looked like a makeup case, and it flipped top down. Uh, that was intriguing but the one that opened up like a book i found more interesting because well as we get older which i am that's for sure uh having trouble to see uh bigger screen certainly helps me a lot you're absolutely right bigger screen not just because of your aging eyes but also because it's now often people's primary form of communication and media consumption bigger screen better for netflix and chill my friend hey what about the writer strike michael uh is there an end in sight we're getting frustrated uh, tesla as a stock is was working quite well disney of course not uh but we need content uh, any uh any inklings as to when that writer strike is going to be uh, settled Absolutely not. Uh, but what it does mean is that uh, the demand for non-written content, like the kind of material that I produce, is going up. And so the phone is ringing off the hook, as I'm sure you can hear. Oh, Michael Hainsworth in demand. How's, how's your career uh, unfolding post-television uh, uh, anchor uh, at a national scale? I, don't, I can't believe I didn't do it sooner, my friend. Are you getting a lot of corporate engagements? A lot of corporate engagements, uh, clients, uh, Nokia, Microsoft, CIBC, all very interested in telling interesting stories uh, about the world in which we all operate. Uh, my favorite one was uh, off to London to speak to the founder of Wikipedia, Jimmy Wales, about the future of truth in the age of alternative facts. He's optimistic we can win. Wow. Well, give us some more. Uh, the ultimate issue is that boomers are the ones who are spreading the disinformation more than anyone else. We will educate them or they will die, literally and figuratively. And with that in mind, the next generation, Gen Z, millennials, uh, they're the ones who are uh, a little more in tune to this. <laughs> Do you know, remember uh, visions uh, and predictions about Generation X, the lost generation, uh, the disenfranchised generation, uh, the generation that uh, was very much into IT but never bathed generation? 
Dude, I am Gen X. We are the forgotten generation even now. The millennials are fighting with the boomers. The boomers are fighting with the millennials. And, you know, the rest of us are just sitting here eating popcorn watching this unfold. Yeah, it's quite true because I I saw a a little uh, uh, joke about various generations and basically depicting that the Gen X is the only happy generation out there. Uh, I think it's a complete uh, myth. Uh, It's an exciting time, uh, just to say the least. Uh, the fall is upon us. Uh, markets tend to get a little perkier. Uh, pay attention to technology. Uh, it is a driving force. Uh, getting a little pricier, uh, but exciting nonetheless. Uh, Mr. Michael Hainsworth, uh, IDC contributing editor and host of Where's My Jetpack. He's awesome. Uh, I want to thank you for your time, my friend. Uh, thank you. You, you keep it up, and uh, we'll get you back on Hi-Fi Radio ever so soon. Friends, we're going to take a quick break and get back to the show with money. Talk. Uh, we're going to do a little behavioral finance with... Uh, Amos Nadler, Wolf. Amos Nadler. Uh, back to school. A, a former professor uh, at the... Uh, was it? Ivy School of Business at uh, Western. Nice. Yeah. And now he's in uh, the corporate world trying to help uh, people make better decisions, and you do that by not getting in your own way. Stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. There's more Hi-Fi Radio in a moment on 640 Toronto. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. Welcome back to a show about money. I am Wolfgang Klein, Jack Hartle, by my side, we're two portfolio managers that care a lot about helping good people build wealth. Uh, if you need some help, please, we're here for you. Just uh, drop us a line. Indeed, you know, I got to say, uh, there's a lot of wisdom in buy and hold. It truly is. And uh, I think the uh, the biggest lesson learned from buy and hold is uh, you don't have to make that difficult decision uh, of getting back in. I, I share with you uh, people who panicked uh, in the market uh, at the start of uh, the uh, Ukraine, excuse me, the, the, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Um, people panicked and got nervous, uh, exited the market uh, when the S&P 500 was, say, 3,800, uh, 3,900, 3,700. Um, they got out and the market went a little lower uh, and then it turned and as they raised interest rates the market managed to challenge and fight back and rise along with rising interest rates market now 4400 those who exited cannot get back in uh, because they want something called confirmation bias they want to be proven correct with their theory that I'm going to sell and well buy back uh, and avoid the conflict and then the turmoil of the market they'll buy back at better times well Better times are now, which are higher levels. Uh, so the confirmation bias is not kicking in, and here they sit at watching markets rise. Don't do it, my good friends. Sure, you can rotate around the board, but don't exit. It's just too difficult to get back in uh, for the professionals, let alone the do-it-yourselfers. Uh, Amos Nodler, uh, he's a founder and chief scientist uh, at Professor of Wall Street. I should say Prof of Wall Street. 
Uh, he's involved in behavioral economics research and emphasis on digital assets, um, research, finance, marketing, leadership, uh, making material improvements in the industry. But the, what I like about Amos is he specializes in behavioral finance, neurofinance, neuroeconomics, and econometrics, uh, economic analysis. That's not so exciting. Uh, and even healthcare, marketing, branding, identity. And wow, it's a lot you do there, Almost uh, Welcome back to Hi-Fi Radio. appreciate your time. Uh, please uh, eloquently describe behavioral uh, finance to us uh, and confirmation bias, I should say, to us in the world of behavioral finance and why is just so, such a mind blank. Well, thank you all for the invite, and uh, great to hear your voice as well, Jack. Confirmation, confirmation bias is certainly one of the tough ones that, uh, as you said, professionals struggle with, uh, individual investors, do, sellers struggle with. And the, the big challenge there is that it's tough to thrust aside data that contradicts our beliefs. And this was a, a quote, I think it was Thucydides, you know, back in the days, is a, a Greek classical historian talks about thrusting aside what we do not want to maintain the beliefs that we have. And your, your example now of uh, people not being in the market because, well, I believe it's going to go down, and therefore I'm going to do X, and then the market doesn't go down. Well, I'm still going to hold true to this idea. Um, it's, it's the opposite of what we call being a Bayesian updater. Uh, Bayesian updating is a type of mathematical updating that makes you an objective forecaster based on the information that you have. Humans, we all struggle with this inability to be a Bayesian updater, a mathematical updater, but we tend to overemphasize the data that supports our hypothesis. So you could say, oh, there's this war going on. I think uh, things are going to hit the fan. I'm going to stay out. You could mention other things happening. You could always have a laundry list of, of negative or, or bare uh, sort of theses, and then that's your belief. You'll cast aside, well, there's good economic data. The job reports are good. There's these breakthroughs in these areas. This is improving. So if you've kind of staked out a position, you're going to underemphasize or just completely ignore the, the data that contradicts your perspective. You know, it's funny. I sort of feel that way, uh, that I'm contradicting data when it comes to the Canadian market. Uh, the Canadian market is not working very well. Uh, the, our, our Canadian pipelines, which were, you know, widow and orphan type names, big fat dividend payers, steady, consistent, uh, you know, they're always moving stuff around the country and they're not building more pipe. Uh, they're not working. Canadian banks, uh, you know, uh, house money, shall I say, not working. Uh, and the, the, the data is just, you know, the data to me is the momentum, uh, what the market is saying with price and volume and notably price. Uh, the data is pointing to, hey, these things aren't working. But my bias is hang on to them into next year. Uh, you know, every dog does, has its day. And I do know over time, these names do end up compounding wealth. Uh, but I'm just struggling with it right now, almost. Mm-hmm. That, that's a tough one. I've, I've worked with a lot of Canadian uh, professionals uh, and home bias is a huge one for Canadians. This is one of the, the biases we find in the literature that basically means that people like to buy equities of the country they live in. And there's, a, there's a lot of reasons why we do that. And I think psychologically it gives us a sense of safety, familiarity, control, and putting money into foreign assets, even if it's you know two hours south or you know heading out to the U.S., there's a sense of lack of familiarity, sense of lack of control, which I would say is an illusion of control. But Canadians in the world are the worst in terms of having home bias because the percentage of their portfolios is the highest of any other industrialized nation that holds Canadian assets to their detriment. Well, if you're not alone, a lot of other people struggle with this idea. Banks work, you know, oil and gas has been great. 
so I'm struggling to to justify this position when there's evidence that saying there's better money, you know, better investments elsewhere. You got to go with the data, and you know, there's there's no sort of easy way. But trusting your gut is not the way to make investment decisions. Well, lead you astray there. Jack and I uh, are running. Seven, about seven or eight portfolios uh, with different flavor and style. Um, and uh, some of our new portfolios that we built uh, are data-driven. Uh, they're quant-driven with a technical overlay. And uh, they are as refined to becoming a process uh, as uh, we have uh, ever seen on the street, uh, Bay Street, that is. Uh, and it's interesting to see what names it's it's telling us to buy. Um, Jack, in, in that Bloomberg portfolio that, that uh, you're running uh, with some of your money, uh, give me a couple of names that it told you to buy that are up that you never would have bought. Give us sure, three absolutely. names. I'm going to say the housing sector earlier in the year, we talked about it, Wolf. I said I would never buy these names. And again, that's an emotional bias uh, that I had. The market uh, was telling us something different. The quants were telling us something different. And this process actually put us in a couple names that gave us so, a lot. So, so housing, uh, what was the other yeah, one? Yeah, I would say D.H. Horton in, in terms of housing and yep. Pulte. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were very early on those two names. And then the energy space um, drove us into that. I'm going to say, um, you know, the world is going green. Everyone's got that narrative going on right now, but these companies are making a lot of money and we've got three or four energy names that are doing quite well and in that Bloomberg th- portfolio. That was, that was a Bloomberg portfolio. So that was just a, a strictly quant portfolio. Then we have a, a quant technical portfolio, uh, which is getting a little closer to our own style. But then uh, our own style, I basically uh, almost am taking quants, technicals, and I'm overlaying gray matter. Jack's gray matter and my gray matter. Uh, And to see if we are able to add value. And, well, again, we are biased towards the answer yes, but I do think we are able to add value. But almost, I'm going to say that, you know, if I am able to add value, which I believe I can, and we call that alpha on the street, it is only because I, I have been investing on Bay Street Good golly, uh, since my early 20s, and I'm now 58. That's a long time. That's about 38 years. Wow. Uh, professionally, I've been working on Bay Street now for 22 years. I began 9-11. Uh, I kid you not. Uh, it's, mm. it's a very powerful uh, Remembrance Day to me and many of us, of course, which we just uh, went through the 21st, uh, 22nd, 22nd. 22nd. Yeah. Uh, God rest all those individuals' souls and our, all their families, uh, indeed. Um, Amos, can you please help us? Top three most common behavioral mistakes investors make. <clears throat> Absolutely. Uh, the so we'll let's talk about the most of the audience because there's a, sort of a difference between the do-it-yourselfers and the professionals. You guys also make mistakes, and I love your humility on the show that you openly talk about that. I think that's uh, very commendable. The literature, the, most of the research is on do-it-yourselfers, just because availability of data, you know, easier, easier to get access to them. So the main one is one that I don't know how often is discussed, but over-trading, I know you guys talk about it, but over-trading, just the act of excessive volume uh, is one of the big ones, that retail do-it-yourselfers react to news buy and sell, react to what happened previously. Prices go up, they do things. Prices go down, they do things. So that's one uh, that people struggle with. There's, there's other biases associated with that, such as illusion of control. I believe I can control what's happening. The fact is we're all optimistic unless you're a billionaire. So, so that's a major one. Over- illusion of control. That's cool. Yes. You wanna, you wanna, we can chat about that one. If, if, uh, yeah, give, give us the third, and then we'll pick the best one to chat about. Okay. So 
we talked about overtrading, just the act of excessive volume. So overconfidence, that's that's a big one, which I know we you guys have talked about on the show quite a bit. Overconfidence. Overconfidence. That's and it has a few different flavors. It's not only this idea that, you know, I know better than everyone. There's there's this type that's called there is over precision, b- believing that the data you have gives you more information than it does. There's the better than average effect, which is a- another subset of overconfidence saying, <laughs> well, I'm better than everybody else. Better than average. Yeah, that's a classic overconfidence uh, type. But there's like these kind of three types of overconfidence. And in trading, it just destroys people's uh, performance because they place large positions on ideas that are not particularly well vetted. And then when that, you know, that goes well, it doesn't go well, they're going to mismanage the loss and the gain, which is what the disposition effect is about, which I think is a, a good candidate for the third one. The disposition effect is investors selling the winners too soon, missing out on the big upside. And on the loss side, people not selling them too early or at all. I think that's the, I think that's the biggest. Uh, in my opinion, that's the biggest, not getting out of your losing trades, because that means you're wrong. And that means you have to admit that you are wrong. And wait a minute, you thought you were better than average. Uh, we call that mm-hmm. being uh, smarter than the average bear on Bay Street. Uh, Amos Nadler, uh, founder and chief scientist at Prof of Wall Street. Always a treat uh, to get your perspective on us mortal creatures and how we take a bar of soap and, uh, well, turn it into uh, foam. Yeah, don't overtrade, my good friends, because the portfolio is like a bar of soap. The more you use it, the smaller it gets. Uh, Amos, uh, all the best to you, my friend. We'll speak soon. Uh, philanthropy, uh, giving, helping, sharing the love. Uh, it's the responsibility for those who have, and this show is all about helping you have more. Uh, and therefore, with that big, well, uh, with that power comes big responsibilities. Uh, Covenant House Executive Sleepout uh, coming up very, very soon. Uh, Mark Austin, uh, Executive Director, is going to join us and talk about the importance of uh, Covenant House and helping homeless youth. Stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. There's more Hi-Fi Radio in a moment on 640 Toronto. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. You, my friend, can be a hero. Mark Austin is Executive Director at Covenant House. He's going to spend some time with us, speak to us about the executive sleepout. Uh, and friends, you can certainly, like I said, be a hero. Either uh, call Mark and uh, become a sleeper uh, or uh, donate some money. Uh, you help me uh, become the top fundraiser, my good friends, uh, I greatly appreciate that a few years ago when I did the sleep out. Yes, uh, you helped me become be the number one sleeper uh, for just one day. Mark, thank you for spending some time with us. It's a very important time of the year, uh, certainly for Torontonians uh, living on the street. Uh, appreciate you uh, doing everything you do and spending some time with us today. How are you? 
I, I'm great. Thank you, Wolfgang. And thank you so much for having me on the show. As you said, our uh, 12th year of the executive sleep out is, is coming up in November. And uh, we're starting to sort of get motivated and fundraise for that really important cause. So uh, we're so glad to have you on board again. I think, uh, you know, you, you could potentially uh, snag that top uh, fundraiser spot again. So, you know. I'm trying to actually get our uh, our, our uh, managing director, Stuart Raftus, uh, uh, to seep out uh, this year, and uh, I think he, he's going to do it if uh, he has no conflicting appointments. Uh, he does have to travel the planet a lot, and yeah, but nonetheless, uh, yeah. it'd be great to see him uh, do the sleep out, and I can pass the baton to him. Uh, but yeah, I've done it, I think, three or four times, and uh, it's a very uh, moving, humbling uh, experience to actually sleep outside for even one day. Uh, you've obviously done it, Mark. Uh, to share with the audience uh, your experience uh, sleeping on some concrete for six or seven hours. Yeah, I think you're you're exactly right, Wolfgang. Um, it, it's an experience that really connects people to the work. I mean, the evening starts with a program at Covenant House where you can really learn about the services and programs Covenant House has to support young people who are homeless and trafficked in our city. But then, as you said, uh, the, the evening ends with going out to the cold, hard pavement um, in Toronto in mid-November. And um, it, it, you know, the, the objective there is to really give people some time to think about the issue of homelessness, what it's really like to have nowhere to go. And as I said, to really connect people to the work. And I think it, 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 you know, people rise to a challenge. So I think people actually enjoy the little bit of hardship that comes with it because they, they, they really are convinced they're doing something important and they are. And uh, I, I've heard many sleepers say that it's, it's been a really life-changing experience for them. Yeah, well, I've met a, a number of fantastic sleepers uh, over the number of years I did it, and uh, I will say they're very committed individuals, very passionate, very humble, and 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 uh, very successful. Uh, hence, you know, the executive uh, sleep out. You know, it, it's uh, I'm trying real hard to to uh, raise the bar. You know, help people elevate out of poverty, um, and, and and also avoid poverty. Uh, and you know it's it's remarkable in in uh, the world of wealth because um, it's almost a bit of a dirty word, uh, not as bad as rich. Uh, I you know I'm okay with the words, but you know some people don't like the words. But uh, nonetheless, uh, we got to have something, <laughs> some kind of descriptive for it. But you know uh, it's amazing um, how a small token. Uh, can go so far. And you know, let's speak about the audience right now. You know, I, I keep saying to, to the listeners, please begin saving and begin saving soon and investing. And I, say, I always say a homeless person uh, saving $5 a day for 40 years at 9%. Uh, so $5 a day saved at a 9% growth rate, which is, you know, right in, in line with what the U.S. and the Canadian stock market have done over the last 75 years, would generate almost three quarter of a million dollars. Um, it, it, it's, it's, it's amazing. Uh, so, and again, you can, I can flip that now back into donating, you know, $5 a day and what kind of impact that can have on, uh, not just yourself, but society as a whole. Uh, again, taking care of youth, uh, is costly. Uh, so how much does it cost to take a youth, one youth through the Covenant House 
process program uh, facilities for one day? Well, you know, depending on what services um, are being provided to them, Wolfgang, it, it, that that cost could vary. But if you're looking at, for example, at being in a, in our residence, you, you know, that's two to three hundred dollars per day per per young person for uh, a safe environment, an environment where they're, they're provided uh, nutritious food access to health services, access to counseling. So just some of those basic things um, is, is, is really quite resource intensive. But um, as you noted, Covenant House uh, is, is really dependent on community support. Over three quarters of the revenue that supports the work of Covenant House comes from donors from the community. So we are, we are incredibly grateful for that, and we, we just know how important it is. And just quickly on another note, um, because young people have, have so much potential, their whole lives ahead of them, um, Covenant House really leans into the whole financial literacy area, too. And a number of our programs set up trust and savings accounts so young people can begin to build that financial base that they will need when they move out to the community. So... Uh, we're, we're doing that work as well. Uh, Mark, I had a client uh, just work through their will um, and estate plan uh, with me. And uh, they, they, this individual uh, has a $2.5 million uh, current net worth. Uh, about a million, of, a million dollars is in their RRSP. And they have no children. Uh, so they're, they're going to donate to... Uh, 75% of their estate to, to three relatives, shall I say, and the other 25% of their estate uh, to a charity. Uh, I want to go through the math on this one here. The RSP at date of death is fully taxable, uh, which means a million-dollar RSP with no other income probably work out to about $400,000 in taxes. Um, this individual, again, has no children, and they give the bulk of their money to family, but some to charity. Say, well, look, if I give $500,000 to charity, uh, I will reduce my tax bill by $250,000. And yeah, my net estate will be $250,000 smaller, but I'm going to have a $500,000 uh, charitable impact at the estate level. Uh, you must, uh, through Covenant House, have uh, individuals who are that passionate about your organization that uh, they actually write Covenant House uh, as a beneficiary into their wills? We, we absolutely do, and it's, it's an important component of the support that we receive from the community. And we have our own in-house, in-house expert, Ruth, um, who handles all the estate and legacy and plan giving. So it, it's a really important part um, of, of how people support Covenant House and support homeless youth in our city. And uh, as, as you say, there are obvious advantages as well to um, some of the tax situation in, uh, uh, related to that. Well, yeah, there's nothing wrong with saving tax and also helping out Covenant House, uh, you know. Uh, look, we're speaking with Mark Aston. He's executive director at Covenant House. Uh, they're gearing up for their 12th annual executive sleepout uh, in the middle of November in this cold, chilly city of ours. Uh, we're trying to raise a lot of money uh, for a very, very important cause that just 
Well, it always exists and we got to minimize it. Uh, I'll share with you a few of my homeless experiences, uh, uh, witnesses, uh, shall I say, when I was traveling uh, through Europe. It's remarkable. Uh, you just can't avoid it. Hi-Fi Radio, show about money. Uh, we want you to have more of it. Uh, turn it up. We are your friend. Indeed. Stay tuned. Want to make more money? Stay tuned for more Hi-Fi Radio on 640 Toronto. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. Love Bob. Appropriate for Covenant House Executive Sleep Out 12th Annual. Uh, it's gaining some traction, uh, but never enough. Uh, Mark Austin is joining us. Uh, Mark, I, uh, I've been fortunate this year. I took a couple of trips to Europe, uh, just blessed, and managed to a couple of days in a few different countries. Uh, and yes, I was in England. I understand you're a native from England, uh, beautiful uh, country, and uh, spent, obviously, time in London. Uh, and that's a gorgeous city. It's actually, I'm going to say, probably the nicest city in the world. It's clean. Uh, it's hopping. It's busy. Uh, architecturally brilliant. The food is very good, uh, surprisingly. Uh, that's what everyone says. Surprisingly, the food in England is actually really good. That's what people say. It's true. It is good. Um Virtually no homelessness, uh, Mark. Let's, let's, let's start with England, because then we're going to take a trip to Ireland, where you see a very different picture. Um, now, I understand that there's different, obviously, different laws. That's what's interesting when you travel as well. Laws change. They are not the same. You've got to be aware of local laws. But uh, there's some interesting laws globally uh, in terms of the ability to sleep on a street. Uh and I think the ones in England are basically, you cannot set up camp. You cannot have any kind of mattress or virtually not even cardboard on the ground. Uh, you can sleep on the ground, but that's about as far as it goes. Are you aware of the, that nuance and that law, Mark, in London? Well, just let me say, firstly, yes, London in, in many regards is an incredible city, though I have to give a second mention to Manchester, uh, the home of Manchester United, my football club. So, but yes, I, I mean, Wolfgang, you, you know, I think it's it's pertinent to mention rough sleeping in, in London because there's been a huge amount of work done uh, to to really try and reduce and mitigate uh, rough sleeping in London. Now I couldn't I couldn't tell you what the the bylaws are in that city currently, but I know it has certainly been an area of emphasis because look, and you come to a world class city and you you expect certain things, and I think one is that you know a city like that can can provide basic shelter to to people who are living there, so I think London's work very hard on that well, that's good to hear I did, again, I saw some homelessness does not very much. Then I went uh, a month ago to uh, Dublin, rampant homelessness there it's incredible 
the homelessness in that city and and the the, the excessive drug abuse um, uh, heroin crack uh, they have an issue uh, and that is not a climate to be homeless in Ireland you get four seasons the same day there are trends that are that are global Wolfgang and I think you know since the pandemic we've seen a rise in anxiety trauma mental health issues we've we've certainly seen in in toronto and i i know elsewhere in the globe uh, an intensification of addiction um there are some really lethal street drugs now um so all of those issues plus in in many cities the incredibly unaffordable cost of housing bingo these these factors have come together to make it really difficult for people so covenant house I mean, is working really hard on all those fronts for young people. Affordability is, is, is front and center. Jack and I, we, we, we speak about it all the time. And I don't know, I don't, I, I don't like to play the blame game, um, but there are some key factors here that make living in a shelter very difficult, meaning uh, buying a home. Uh, number one, money was too cheap for too long, i.e. zero interest rates, took housing prices to the moon. Uh, politicians? are not allowing builders to build them. And builders are saying, if you're not going to allow us to make money building them, we certainly aren't going to build them. Notably, rental housing uh, does not make economic sense for developers. They don't want to do it because they can't make money on it. The policies do not line up with the demand. And the demand is compounded with immigration. I speak now back to Europe. They have a major refugee crisis and have had one over the last 10 years. Uh, and, and Germany has been bringing in millions, the plural, of people. Uh, there again, I saw a lot of Turkish homelessness. Um, Dublin, people are coming from the Middle East uh, with, with, a, with, uh, with a million euro. That gets their whole family into Dublin or into Ireland and they get themselves a, a family European passport. But again, there are no new houses being built. Um, does that discussion ever come up? I'm going to give you about 30 seconds with that, Mark, in terms of building more shelters. It's, uh, I mean, both are critical. We now have a situation in Toronto where the shelter system is full every night. We, ne we need more capacity there. But as you've noted, we, we need good policy and good implementation of how for, for affordable housing. We need to incent developers and not-for-profit developers so um, we can start to address the crisis we have in Toronto. Uh, Mark Austin, uh, Executive Director at Kavanaugh House, uh, I do wish you great success with the sleep out. Um, if there are executives who, or executives, that's right, who want to uh, join the cause and sleep uh, on the street, I highly encourage you. Uh, your website would have information on that? Absolutely, covenanthousetoronto.ca. Uh, the requirement if an executive, I think, is what the, yeah, you have to at least commit to trying to raise $5,000, isn't that correct? That's correct, yeah. yes. I managed to raise just under $90,000 with the great help of our listeners at iFi Radio. Uh, it's a great cause, and I please support it, either with a check, donating stock. You can write them into your will if you like, uh, or uh, actually um, hit the pavement uh, for about seven hours. Uh, so important uh, to give back, my good friends. Like I said, get started early. And you know something, if you can't start early, start now. Uh, the sooner you start, the sooner you build wealth. Uh, slow, steady Eddie does win the race. 
And uh, yes, as boring and vanilla as it sounds, you got to stay invested. Don't get shaken out. Uh, just too difficult. Uh, own quality throughout the process. Five bucks a day at 9% over 40 years is three quarter of a million dollars. A thousand bucks a month at 9%, my good friends, 40 years, about $5 million. That's what you should have. Keep listening to us each and every Saturday right here on 640. It's Hi-Fi Radio. I'm Wolfgang Klein. Any questions for Jack Hartle or myself? We're both portfolio managers here to help you build wealth. Please give us a call. Have a good weekend. You've been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, portfolio managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any questions about money, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi-Fi Radio. For the love of money. Join us again next week. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment.